do dogs see in color and what makes you think that they do or don't? She has something to say. I don't know. I'm curious what their color spectrum is, but I have a feeling it's kind of muted colors. Hello, I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Claire Mansell in Ottawa, Canada. Welcome to Dog Edition. Where voices from around the world consider all things dog. Claire, I don't know about you, but over the years I've heard my fair share of, what do you say, fun facts about dogs. What, sort of urban myths, things you're not quite sure if they're true or not? Exactly, yeah, like dogs are colorblind, or dogs have uber-clean mouths that you could kiss... Or you can tell how happy a dog is by the way he or she wags its tail. Well, I've totally thought that that last one was 100% true, so I'll be fascinated to know if it's not. I've definitely encountered similar kinds of information about our canine friends over the years. And I guess at times it can be difficult to know which ones are true and which ones are just kind of passed around and feel like they're true. Well, that is exactly the kind of questions that we will be digging into on today's episode. So today we're going to be heading to dog parks around the world and asking dog owners just like you to share their thoughts on various dog facts to test their knowledge on common canine misconceptions. And with the help of a few veterinary experts, we are unveiling the truth about some everyday dog myths. That and more on today's show. So if you love dogs as much as we do, Pause what you're doing, leash up your pup, and let's go for a walk. Because we've got a lot to talk about on today's episode of Dog Edition. Hey Pepper, want to go for a walk? So Jim, a couple of months ago, I was told by somebody that the whole red ball that you throw for a dog in the dog park that stands out against the green grass is all a myth and that dogs can't tell the difference between red and green and so for the dog it's like looking for a green ball on green grass and so literally every time I throw a ball I think about that and think am I making this really difficult for my dog? Claire you are not alone we went to dog parks around the world and spoke with dog lovers and they had similar suspicions about what dogs can and cannot see. So I read an article once that says they see blues and yellows but that's just hearsay. Like, I, I don't know that for sure. I do know that there are certain color balls that they see easier than others. Trick question, kind of. So I think that they see in color, they just see reduced color. I feel like maybe it's like a shade thing in terms of like black and white. Uh, not the full spectrum of humans. I don't remember specifically what their full range is, but it's, it's more limited than, than the human range. It's a great question. I'm not really sure. I want to say yes. That's kind of like a flat earth thing. I've been told they can't, but I'm going to say no just by what I've been told. I have no idea. Yes, they do, but it's definitely a variation on what humans see in that it's apparently seen the green, blue, gray palette, but they do see in color. It's just muted from what ours is. I heard that they saw in black and white, but I've never actually looked into it myself. I don't know. I'm curious what their color spectrum is, but I have a feeling it's kind of muted colors. So we reached out to a few experts to find out the answer. What's the verdict? Are dogs really colorblind? I'm here to tell you, as a veterinarian <laughs> for over 30 years, dogs can see in colors. 
That is Dr. Ernie Ward, a small animal veterinarian from coastal North Carolina. Dogs have the same cones, which are the little cells in the back of our eye and the retina that are responsible for color perception that humans do. Now, it's different. Dogs only have two types of cones to perceive color, and humans have three, which makes us be able to see a rich rainbow of colors. But the reality is dogs do see colors in a limited fashion. And so the old myth of dogs can't see, they only see black and white or grays, just not true. If dogs can see colour, then how has this myth persisted for so long? I think it probably originated, number one, from our observations. And I think that at some point we just figured, oh, they don't seem to respond to certain stimuli in the environment the same way. We started to get a clear indication that maybe, you know, dogs can't see colors like greens and yellows and reds, or at least not as vibrantly as humans did. And it really hasn't been until the last 20, 30, 40 years that people, that scientists, have sort of reinvestigated this. So we asked Dr. Ward what scientists have discovered more recently. When you look at what cells are present in the human eye and in a dog's eye, we know that cones are responsible for seeing colors and rods for lights. Humans have about 5% of their total retina comprised of color perception of cones, and dogs only have about 3%. But now our scientific understanding goes even further, and we know that, that while humans have three different specialized types of cones, we know that dogs only have two, which makes them dichromatic, and that's where the differences really begin. And it's kind of interesting how they figured this out. The way researchers sort of evaluate this is they will train a dog to see a color card, right? And so they'll say, when you see this color, we give you a food reward. And if we show you another color, then you don't get a food reward. And so what they do is they start to measure, are you responding to color or to differences in light? And I think some of the greatest research that's been done in the past 10, 15 years has been to distinguish that, wait, Dogs use both, right? They actually use light discrimination and color. Ah, they're very smart dogs, aren't they? So if dogs can only see a small percentage of the colors that we see, this means there could be certain considerations that we should be making in our everyday lives in order to best suit our pets, perhaps like that ball thing I was talking about. Absolutely. I think it's important to consider how this lack of knowledge might be affecting how we care for our dogs. Of course, as dog lovers and dog parents, we want to make sure that our dogs are as comfortable as possible. I think it's really important to note that, you know, well, so why do we see so many red balls and chew toys and bowls and so forth for dogs out there if dogs can't see it? Well, first of all, I mean, remember who's buying the products, right? I mean, they're appealing to us. So when you walk down an aisle, red catches your eye. And so that tends to draw our attention. And that means you may be more likely to purchase it. Now, we know pretty conclusively now, based on the on the current research and evidence, that dogs do poorly with red colors, right? They just, I mean, they may be able to see it, but it's probably not as vibrant and exciting as maybe it is to human eyes. And we know that they see blues and yellows pretty much like humans do, at least as far as we can tell. So my advice to, to most dog parents is, you know, kind of stick with blues and yellows as much as possible. In terms of more serious implications, are there any that could be caused by this type of misinformation? We asked Dr. Ward. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. You know, like, so so what, right? I mean, so if dogs can't see red toys, big deal. I think the biggest so what for me as a doctor of veterinary medicine is the research implications, specifically around cognition and cognitive abilities, the mental abilities, intelligence. Because remember, if we are using colors and, and light settings and other visual cues to try to determine if a dog responded or not, that has grave implications. In fact, there's been people that have gone back and looked at some of the old studies that were done around the 20s, 30s, and 40s, and so forth. And they drew conclusions that we then held as dogmatic. You know, these were truths that we held for decades afterward. And, and then when you look at their studies, you realize, wow, they were like using color cards that were too dark or too light, and that might have biased the study. And it doesn't mean that we overturn all of those findings, but I think moving forward, it's going to be really important. The most important reason this discussion should be happening is to allow us to understand we can do better at interpreting what our dogs are saying. You know, there's actually a research study that is going on right now at the University of Wisconsin to help us all understand what dogs see in terms of television. And if you actually want to participate in that, we're going to put a link in today's show notes so that you can actually participate if you want to and see what your dog likes to watch on TV. But there's so many interesting things that we have yet to discover about dogs. And these harmless misconceptions can actually have real effects in the lives of our pets. I'm literally doing a mental audit as we speak, thinking about the colours of the toys that I have bought for Maple. And we don't own a single yellow toy. I don't know I've even seen a yellow toy in a shop. We've got lots of red ones, despite the fact that someone had told me a couple of months ago that they can't see them. That's why I keep thinking about it, thinking, is it true or is it not true? So, yeah, I'm going to have to visit a pet shop and spend some more money on my dog. Why not? According to our friends at the dog park, many of us didn't realize the real-world implications that this myth has. Wow, really, that is so interesting. I'll have to reassess her toys and everything. Interesting, I didn't know that. Oh, really? Okay. I think the fact that it's pretty much been debunked, but people don't still don't believe it, is kind of a reinforcement of not believing other myths that have been debunked as well. Well, there you have it. The truth is out on canines and colorblindness. We are going to take a quick break, but when we return, we are heading back to the dog park to quiz more pet parents on their dog knowledge and maybe debunk or confirm a myth or two. Stick around. And now, a message from your dog. Every day with you is like a day at the beach, and I want as many beach days as possible. I want to run and sniff and find a good stick to carry. I want to roll in the grass and warm my belly in the sun. I want to walk with you, run with you, sleep with you, eat with you. And when I eat with you, I want Everpuff. The green, grassy, beef liver spike smell wakes my senses. You may not realize this, but it tastes like homemade gravy, especially when you wet it. It infuses any food you give me with health and life and vibrancy. I can feel it, Everpuff traveling to every cell in my body, nourishing each one. It helps me feel like I'm on top of the world. I'm so glad you're giving it to me every day because every day I'm so glad to be with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. I want my Everpup. It just makes me feel good. I am so grateful to be your dog and for the Everpup you give me. So now that you know what your dog wants, get Everpup, the ultimate dog supplement. Everpup is available in select pet shops and on Amazon. But to get the best price possible, join the Everpup Club at everpupclub.com. 
where you'll get your first jar for just $8 with free shipping anywhere in the U.S. Go to everpupclub.com and use the discount code DPN. That is everpupclub.com. Everpup, every day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Dog Edition. Before the break, we cracked the code on canine color blindness, and now we're heading back to the dog park to investigate another commonly believed dog fact. Claire, how much do you think you know about your dog's tail? The one thing I would say is I've always assumed that the wagging tail is kind of a sign of happiness, that we're all relaxed and we're all together and it's and you know a nice setting. So I do think a wagging tail means a happy dog. Well, you're not alone. We went out to the dog parks to find out if people agree. I've heard controversy over what tail motions mean what. Not necessarily. It's all contextual. I think the tail is a huge indicator of behavior and and sort of what the dog's thinking about and what the response is going to be. I've learned from my friend Carol, actually, that I always assumed it meant that she was happy, um, but it could also mean anxiety, I think. Oh, that's a complicated one because it does sometimes and in some dogs, but not always and not every dog. It depends on context. Sometimes waving the tail, if it's really rapid, it means that they're um, agitated. Sometimes if it's slow and lazy, it means they're happy or they're just content or they're happy to see someone. It wags for multiple reasons, I think, yeah. yeah. Not just happy. His tail's a weapon, though. When he's happy, like, look out. <laughs> I think it can mean many things. I think happy, I think it can mean curious, inquisitive. So I agree that dogs do tend to use their tail to indicate when they're happy. But thinking about it, it's probably fair to say that they have quite complex personalities and they probably use it to demonstrate other emotions as well. Well, it's time to bust or confirm the myth. So we reached out to Dr. Brittany Grenis, who is a veterinarian in Los Angeles, and she wrote a really interesting article on this very subject. And she says that a lot of her clients ask this question. I definitely hear it all the time, especially when I go into an exam room. I will often see the dog's behavior and notice that based on their body language, maybe they're a little bit nervous or hesitant, so I'll take it a little bit slower with them to make them feel more comfortable. And the owner will kind of pick up on the fact that I'm taking it a little bit slower with their dog, and they'll be like, oh, no, it's okay. See, my dog's wagging his tail. It's totally fine. He's happy. And then I have to try to explain to them that just because their dog is wagging his or her tail doesn't necessarily mean that they're feeling joy and excitement, but rather they might be fearful and nervous of the situation. 
think a lot of people might be quite shocked to hear that. Well, it makes sense when you consider how many emotions dogs have and how limited their means of communication is. I mean, they don't have language, at least language that we understand verbally. And so they use their tail as a type of language. So if it doesn't just mean that a dog is happy, then what other emotions does it characterise? And how do we, as their humans, begin to tell the difference between all the types of wagging tails? We asked the vet again. When a dog is happy, their tail is often going kind of crazy. It's wagging very vigorously, and you might see what we call helicopter tail, which is where the tail is kind of going in a circle or a bunch of different directions. And often with that, they'll sometimes almost, it's almost like they're wagging their whole body, like from their shoulders to their tail is wiggling as they walk up to you because they're just so excited and happy. So what about when they have their tail tucked between their legs? When dogs feel submissive or fearful, they often will tuck their tail between their legs. When they do this, they may or may not be wagging it, but you'll also notice that with their body language, they tend to get really stiff when this happens. And my favorite, when you see a dog's tail, it is totally relaxed. What does that mean? When dogs are relaxed, they don't always wag their tail. It's usually just kind of in a neutral position. You'll also notice that their body language, their whole body is just kind of relaxed. Think of it like relaxing your shoulders and you'll actually notice something similar with them. And their posture is just kind of like, yeah, if you approach me, that's fine. And what about when a dog encounters something a bit strange and they're just curious about it? Maple's got a thing about mirrors at the moment. When they're super curious, they often have their tails sticking literally straight back from their body, which actually looks kind of funny. And you'll notice that their ears are often perked up and maybe their head is tilted a little bit to the side. Often it's when they have a new smell or there's a new person or something like that. You know, if you've ever made a weird sound to your dog or squeaked a squeaker for them and their head tilts to the side, their ears perk up, their tail goes straight back and they're just kind of like, "Ooh, what's that? So it's not necessarily positive or negative. It's just a sign of curiosity. And then, of course, there is the tail that sticks straight up vertically. What does that mean? A straight-up vertical tail wag kind of needs to be put into the context of the rest of the dog's body language. But in general, if their tail is straight up and kind of arching over their back, it can be a sign of aggression. The other signs that you would see are they might be really stiff. They may or may not be barking or growling at you. They usually have more of an alert posture. So think of it like in people, how we stand up really straight in situations like this. So they kind of do something similar with their body. They also might be staring you down because in dog language, staring is actually a sign of aggression. Um, So these are some of the signs that you might see with this type of tail wag. So what about the rapidity or the pace the dog is wagging their tail? What does that mean if it gets faster and faster? The rate at which a dog is wagging their tail is comparable to the volume of their voice. So the faster they're wagging their tail, the louder their voice which when they have an aggressive tail wag can mean that they're getting more and more worked up and more to the point where they may attack or fight something versus if they have a happy tail wag, the faster they're wagging their tail, usually the happier they are. Well, clearly the information is in the tail and we can observe our dog's tails to learn a lot more about how they're feeling. And also pay attention when that aggressive wagging tail starts kicking off to avoid any incidents. Most of the time, dogs are what we call fear aggressive, where they're really just scared. And it's not that they want to bite someone, 
But if you continue to approach a dog that is giving you all these fearful signals and signs that they don't want to interact with you, you might push them past the limit of their fear and they may act out and bite you. You also can see this with dog-to-dog -dog interactions. When you are forcing your dog to meet another dog and both dogs are giving signals that they don't want to meet each other, they may end up getting into a fight with each other, which obviously can end very poorly. So what's really unfortunate is that in addition to humans being put in harm's way, if you can't read the body language, is that you kind of have a breakdown in communication between the parent and the pet as well. Absolutely. And you're not only putting people in danger, you could be putting the dog in danger as well. If you force your dog to interact with other dogs that they don't want to interact with, it can actually make your dog start to lose a little bit of trust for you, in a sense. Because if you force interactions for them, they actually start to question whether or not you'll be able to keep them safe. This can then make their aggression even worse because they become even more afraid that they're not going to have an out for these situations that they've been kind of forced into. That is such a fascinating insight. I totally relate to that. The dog is looking for us to engage when it's safe and if we force them to do it otherwise, ugh, bad things happen. I think the important takeaway here is that paying close attention to our dog and being in tune with their behavior can really improve their quality of life. Absolutely, from the colour of their chew toys to how they react around our friends, family and acquaintances. Our pups are communicating in their own ways and giving us clues about their comfort levels. Well, those are all the myths that we will be busting on today's show. If you enjoyed this episode and have your own misconceptions or common beliefs that you'd like us to dig into... We'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us via our website, which is dogedition.com, or contact us on social media. As always, we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode and bringing Dog Edition with you along on your walk today. Special thanks to Dr. Ernie Ward and Dr. Brittany Grenis for sharing their insights on today's show. We will have links to more information in the show notes so you can get some more scholarly research on what these myths are really all about. We'll be back with another episode soon, but until then, you'll probably need some stuff to listen to. Yes, lots of dog walks and lots of listening time. So if you're looking for more dog podcast content, then please check out our sister shows, including Jim's show, The Long Leash. And of course, follow along in your app to make sure you don't miss our latest episode. I'm James Jacobson in Maui, Hawaii. And I'm Claire Mansell in Ottawa, Canada. On behalf of all of us here at Dog Podcast Network, I want to wish you and your dog a very warm aloha. Aloha.